0: Welcome to Church at the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us.
1: Okay. James chapter 1. We are there. So if you will turn to the end of James chapter 1 and please stand for the reading of God's word. James 1, 26 through 2, 7. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory.
0: Father, we just want to thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come together today on this beautiful Sunday. We pray that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to what you have to tell us this morning. And Lord, we give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. For all you moms, happy Mother's Day. Um, On behalf of all sons and husbands, forgive us. Thank you for your patience and love. Um, We appreciate all that. Um, So we're going to, I've never been one when we're in a series to just stop and go, oh, we're doing a Mother's Day sermon. So we're just going to keep rolling through James because I believe that the gospel and the word is for everybody every day. And so we're just going to kind of pick up where we left off. This is an interesting passage of scripture and it's, when I first started reading it this week, I'm like, man, this is really like a downer. (laughs) Um, How do I like pick this up a little bit because I feel like a lot of what James is telling us when we're putting that mirror in front of us is constantly this conviction. And what I realized as I kept studying and praying and looking at this is, um, in fact, it hit me even hard again when we were singing. Or that, that second song we're singing and we're just singing the Gospel. It just brings me to tears because I think, man, I, I, don't, I still don't understand why Jesus did what He did. I still don't understand why as rebellious as we are, and as difficult as we are, that we have a God that loves us. And I think if we're looking at the mirror here, in this what James is going to be talking about today, I, I want you to keep kind of that in mind, that as we're going through these things, the mirror is showing us who we truly are, God says, I love you anyway. I sent my son to die for you, and I'm going. And I sent him so that you don't have to be lost in your sin or chained to your sin any longer. And there's such hope and joy in that. And so he begins talking about religion. Um, okay, so when I was growing up, religion was a bad word. All right. So the Christian church. I grew up in non-denominational church. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Okay. But basically, it was like kind of, there's all kinds of different things that would happen in non-denominational church, and there was this movement where, when I remember being in high school, and it was like, religion's bad, religion's bad, religion's bad, and then we were taught to say, you know, I'm not religious, I'm in a relationship with Jesus. Right? So maybe you remember that. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that that's a problem. But what I am saying is that I think... In my generation during that time, there was this push to try to eliminate the idea of religion and just focus on this relationship. And that's good, because without the relationship, we can't be religious. But it's fascinating to me that James says there's actually really good religion. Like, we, we can't just throw it all away. I mean, at the end of the service, we're going to do something religious, and it, we take communion, right? Right? Jesus instituted what, some things in the church that we would deem as religious. I think the reason that it took such a bad rap is because religion seemed like, and once again, when I was young, seemed to revolve around you had to work your way to heaven, you had to earn your way there, it was about the rules, it was about law, it was about making sure that you were the person that God expected you to be all the time, and if you weren't, then the lightning bolts were going to fly, right? Or you had to do something religious to atone for the irreligious or unreligious things that you had done. And so, it's, it's interesting that James, he's going to kind of challenge this and he's going to say, look, religion. it's not that religion is bad. And yes, it's all about a relationship with Jesus. But that relationship with Jesus allows us to do things that are, religious through His power and His strength, And that's an important concept for us to understand. Because I think there's this, you know, we're always working in extremes as human beings. You're either way this way or way that way, and we're very rarely in the middle on everything, right? And it's, uh, it's interesting that I think we either kind of eliminate the idea that Well, okay, I know Jesus died for me, and he loves me, and therefore everything's great, and it doesn't really matter what I do. And Paul talks about this, right? He's like, just because Jesus died for all of your sins doesn't mean that you should just celebrate sin. Right? But I think we kind of get that sometimes. It's just, okay, everything's, you know, Jesus died for me, everything's great, I don't really have to do anything. And then James comes in and he says, well, that's not actually all correct. A lot of it is. And then we have the other side where it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus died for me, but there's so many other things that I have to do because what Jesus did for me isn't enough. And it becomes Jesus plus something else. And we know that's wrong. So James is, the whole point of the book of James is trying to bring us back to this place where we're going, the Gospel is beautiful. The Gospel gives us the strength and the power to actually live out the life that Jesus desires us to live. That's where the religion comes into play. So, we, we do have work to do. right? There's there's things that are in our hearts that needs to change. In, in theological terms, we call it sanctification where we're constantly walking towards Jesus and He's separating us and pulling us apart and saying, I've, I've got something more for you. I'm not done with you. I'm going to keep growing you. I'm going to keep drawing you close to me. Uh, God says, I, I'm trying to use the Holy Spirit here to make you more and more like my son Jesus. And that requires energy, and it requires effort, and it requires a complete and utter dependency upon the Gospel. And so, there's this tension, right? I how much do I need to do well you're not saved by your works we've already talked about that but James has already been arguing that your faith in Jesus should produce works that are evident of that are evidence of your faith there was another you know saying when I was growing up in high school and I don't remember who started it so I can't give credit to the person but they said it was something like if you were to die today would be enough evidence in your life to prove that you were a Christ follower right? And it it was an interesting question. It was pushing back on this idea that just do whatever you want because Jesus died for you. If Jesus died for you and He truly is Savior and He's becoming the Lord of your life, then that Lordship should be reflected in things that we do. And then that would define us outwardly just from our actions or the things that we say or the things that we don't say or the way that we love people or the way that we handle stress or the way that we handle whatever it is, they would go, Oh. There's a story in scripture where after Jesus was ascended, his disciples, they were waiting around and the Pentecost happened and the Holy Spirit comes and then Peter stands up and he preaches and the church begins to grow in Jerusalem. We just sing about that. And then the Jewish officials are really upset. And they bring some of the disciples into them, and they begin to question them. And it says that they beat them and then send them away, telling them to stop preaching about Jesus. But their conclusion was, these are very uneducated men. They don't have the capabilities of actually leading this type of movement. Therefore, they must have been with Jesus. And I was like, that is the best compliment I think anybody could ever get. Right? Kevin, you are not smart enough to do anything. You're not gifted enough, but the Lord is doing something through you and the only explanation is Jesus. And I say, amen to that. Right? There was enough evidence in what they were saying and how they were living that they were with Jesus. And that's what this passage is about. So it begins in this way, it says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person religion is worthless. So he starts, James spends a lot of time talking about the tongue. And I think when I was growing up, or even now, when I think about the tongue, I think about the things that maybe I've said that I wish I hadn't said. Right? It's typically like, oh, I shouldn't have said that to that person, or I shouldn't have said it in this way. That is just a very small component of how James is referring to the way that we use our tongue, or our lack of bridling the tongue. Right? Um, we have a tendency to boast. We have a tendency to criticize. We have a tendency to argue when we shouldn't. We have a tendency to point the fingers at others. We have a tendency to gossip. We have a tendency to not speak when we should and speak very loudly when we shouldn't. Right? Um, scripture says that out of the overflow of the heart, the tongue speaks. Right? And so, there's a lot of evidence that goes on. I mean, but here's the other beautiful thing: there's good things that can come. We proclaim the gospel with our words. I tell you, I love you with my words. I love you, Dan. Yeah. I we tell. I, I I can I can speak. Um, we can preach with our words. We can encourage with our words. There's. It's the, the, the language is such a beautiful gift. And it, it tends to be the thing that we either destroy people with or ourselves with or raise people up with. It, it's such a unique gift, right? And I think one of the reasons that James is constantly talking about our tongue is he's saying, you need to pay attention to yourself, listen to what you're saying listen to the or watch the way people are responding like what learn from it ask for wisdom so that you're not speaking when you shouldn't and you're speaking when you should know your crowd right like, I've learned over time that there's certain people that I will tell things to and then there's certain people I shouldn't right like you have your your friends that are that know you and love you and they see you when you're at your worst and you can say anything to them and they're not gonna just go, I can't believe you said that, they're just gonna walk that with you. And then you have others where if you were to do something like that, it would it would destroy relationships. There's wisdom needed in what we say. And I think the point of what James is saying here is if if we're truly going to claim that we're living out the gospel, then how we speak and what we say and, and what we do with the language and the gift that the Lord has given us is one of those things that we can look in the mirror and say, this is evidence of how I'm truly living. Right? It's not the only evidence, but it's a big one. It's a big one. And I think it's the one thing that, that we seem to deceive ourselves with the most Right? I was thinking about my week, and I was thinking, okay, how did I use my words to encourage? How did I use my words to um, let people know that I care or that I appreciate them? And then where are the errors, right? I, I know my heart well enough to know that there's even times when like, I won't even attempt to, I, I will say something and it wasn't even attempting to be, offensive or hurt somebody, and then it turns out I did. Right, And then, what do we do with our words? Oh, I'm sorry. Right? I tell every couple that I do premarital counseling with, when you're going to apologize to your spouse, there's some words that have to come out of your mouth. The first is, I'm sorry. And the second is, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me? And it's the hardest words, it seems like, in a language language, right? You you watch rom-coms and they say it's, I love you. I don't agree with that. I think we can say that much easier than we can say, will you forgive me? He says if we're looking at what true religion is, it would be, one of the areas would be expressing our language through the lens of the gospel as well. religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows and their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So we got kind of three things here. He starts with the tongue, because it's always the harder. because we always blow this one. That's just, that's just reality. We're just going to do it, right? So we have that. And then he says the next one is, he, he brings up widows and he brings up orphans. Now, why widows and orphans? It's not just, oh, well, all of our attention needs to go on widows and orphans. But maybe it should. What he's bringing up here is he's saying true religion, a true like change of heart, sees everything through the lens of what you believe. So for us, it would be the lens of that Gospel. And we see those who are Less than or struggling or needing help and we have a heart for them and we say we're going to help those who have the greatest need. That's a sign of living out. There's a, there's a compassionate heart there. There's a desire. And it comes from the motivation of realizing that that's exactly where we were before Jesus saved us. And we go, well... I mean, I've I've had people argue with me about this, where they've said things like, "Well, I was never that and this," and I'm like, "Yeah, you were. You know, before Christ, we're all just dirty, rotten sinners. We're a mess." Jesus says that before Christ, just I mean, our our good, what we consider good deeds, are but filthy rags to Him. We, we have to look at ourselves and the world and say there's a disease in the world and it's not, it's, it's, it's bigger than a pandemic. And I don't know what that is. I don't know the word for this. Somebody in the medical world could have come up with it. But it's worldwide. it's It impacts every human being. It's a desire to want to be our own God, to do our own things, to continually separate ourselves from our Creator and deny our Creator and and claim our own godhood and live the way that we desire to live and throw all of that back into our Creator's face. It's sin. I think the only way that as Christ followers we would ever elevate ourselves up to say I'm not willing to serve those who are in need is when we get to a place where we go, I'm better than that person. And when we get there, then we have a heart issue. Right? So, I want to make this personal, because I, I don't know, I, I've had long conversations with other pastors about this, where we dive in, and you know, you really have to understand, Like, I know everybody has their prejudices, and everybody has their issues with certain people, and the, and it's not always the same, right? I remember we, we had a, one of my worship leaders once, he was like, Kevin, I can't stand rich people. He goes, I'm realizing that there's something in my heart that is actually against them. I don't like the way they behave. I don't like the way that they think they can buy everything with what they've got. Because I can't stand it. I'm like, it's interesting how our prejudices can be over anything. But we have to understand and recognize what those are. And how we do that is we go, right, simple question, who am I not willing to serve? And that puts the mirror in front of us, right? Like, it could be a person, and you go, well, why? Why is it that person? Why would I not want to serve them? Well, it's because of this. Well, do I have issue with people that have that kind of personality or that kind of issue? Or what is it? It could be somebody... It, I mean, it, it could fall into racism where somebody, the color of somebody's skin, it could fall into sexism, like, I don't like men or I don't like women or whatever it is. I mean, it could be anything. Sometimes, honestly, I think it's easier for a Christ follower to serve maybe somebody who's homeless or somebody who's destitute than it is to turn and serve your neighbor. Sometimes it's easier to go, oh, I helped that guy with that meal that time and we just kind of roll with that. But we don't help each other. Right? You be When we're putting this mirror up, we're trying to go like, he's saying, true religion in the Gospel, one of the ways that you understand and live it is you're systematically through the Gospel, through Jesus, eliminating those individuals that you're refusing to serve. And you say, because Jesus came to save all. And then he says, "And to keep one's self unstained from the world." I. This is big, and I have no idea how to tell you to do this, other than we've got to apply the gospel in every situation. This is like, this is like basically saying, "Don't be impacted by the world outside of the gospel." And I go, "Well, we know that's impossible." We live in a. I mean, we. We in a conversation yesterday, and we were trying to figure out like how do you balance like the world and the gospel and the gospel's so black and white and the world is so gray and there's so much difficulty in this how much how, wh- when have we crossed the line even in church world how much of the world do we bring in to say we we want to be relevant to our culture and then how, how how far is too far
1: in our life like
0: pick anything. Entertainment. When, when have we crossed the line? Like, When do we become completely irrelevant to the people that we've been sent to reach? Where we've extricated ourselves from the world and isolated ourselves because we know that's not the goal. But then there's also this extreme of saying I'm, "I've I've used so much of the world, I've adopted so much of the world that the Gospel really isn't present in my life anymore, and I may speak Jesus' name, but the religion by which I'm living isn't displaying Him anymore. So then it becomes down to, oh, that guy or that, that lady, she's a really good person, but there's no affiliation with Jesus. These lines are hard. If you, you know they're hard. That's one of the reasons why we show up here every Sunday to be encouraged. That's why I'm here, because I go, these lines are hard. He's saying true religion is an attempt in the Gospel to recognize when the Holy Spirit's saying, oh, you're coming up to that line, or maybe you've crossed it. And we turn around and we say, okay, there's the line. I found it. There was. I had a seminary professor. He wrote a book once um, that was trying to explain this. And I'm trying to remember the title of the book now. Um, it was written by his last name was Towns, and his analogy was he built this like campfire in the book, Oh Perimeters of Light, it was called. And I don't, I don't know if you'd love it or not, but anyway, the analogy was cool. <laughs> Sorry, Dr. Towns. Um, so the there was like a campfire, and he's saying when we're evangelizing, you're, you're looking at this perimeter of, the, of light that the campfire is. You know, if, so if you get far enough away in the dark, you're not going to see the light anymore, right? And you don't feel the warmth, you don't feel the heat. But you get too close, you'll burn yourself. So in our evangelistic efforts, in our life, we're, we're pushing that perimeter of light to its extreme at times to evangelize to culture, but if we ever get to the point where we're outside of the light, then we're no longer in the Gospel. And he's like, it's so difficult. So you're, you're weighing it. It's like, I'm so cold right now, so I'm too far, so I've got to move back and now I'm getting overwhelmed, I'm too hot, and I'm no longer effective, so now I've got to move a little bit this way. And it's just this, I mean, it's not a perfect analogy, but it it was an attempt to say, it's hard. This is hard. Some of you are way more black and white, and some of you are able, uh, you know, you think way more in a gray realm, right? And so that even makes it hard for people. Like, so my wife is very black and white. Right, she's—it's just—it's this or this, and and if you know her, you're gonna know which one, right? Because she's black and white. I tend to live in the gray a little bit more. She's like, it's this, and I'm like, eh, maybe. The gospel's black and white, right? There's so. It even, even your like how you process information, how you think, how the Lord, the gifts the Lord's given you, can make this difficult or easy, or it's just hard. And I want you to understand that, because I think this is probably the most difficult thing about being a Christian: is saying we're supposed to be Jesus and we're not, meaning we're not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. You're not going to be Jesus. We're supposed to be more and more like Jesus, but you're not Jesus. You're not perfect. We're staying cursed. We know Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide us, but we still have the ability to go, nope, I'm not doing that. We still have the ability to blow it. I, I, have, I have no understanding of the fact. It's, it's hard for me to grasp Jesus being a man and never sinning. No evil thought going on in His mind. No mistake made that was a sin. I can't relate to that. I can't. So that's why we have books like James and we have people like the apostles who are going, I'm trying to figure this out too. I can't imagine being somebody like Peter who was around perfection all the time and going, I can't do that. In fact, how many times was Jesus chastising Peter. There's this, this moment of the Pentecost is so pivotal in the life of a Christ follower, and this is why. Jesus literally looked at His disciples and He said, okay, I'm sending you, but don't go yet. Right? Because in your own strength, you're going to make the biggest mess of this that the world has ever seen. So you gotta wait till the Holy Spirit comes, and we have that moment where the Holy Spirit comes, right, and begins the, the 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 permanency of the Holy Spirit coming into those who are saved. That is so important. We can't do any of this unless we're leaning into the power of the Spirit that lives in us. It's the, the it's it's the Spirit that allows us to walk that gray with a black and white gospel, right? We say this. We say so many times. Okay, the gospel cannot change, but the methods by which it delivers should be changed based upon the culture. But how far do we go? And okay, my life. I'm at work. Like I understand the challenges. I'm at work. I'm with people that aren't thinking the same way that I think. And how do I even like influence that? It's hard. But I think. I guess it's supposed to be. But the question is, this is this is really what James is asking. Yes, we live we have a black and white gospel. Yes, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, but is your life even reflecting an attempt to declare and live out the gospel within the gray, or have we just gone, I don't know. Right? I'm a reformed theologian and one of the one of the probably Biggest negative of a reformed theologian is that at any point in my life I can go, eh, God's sovereign, we're good. Now that's really positive, <laughs> right? But I have used that to go, eh.
1: <laughs>
0: so good doctrine, I've even used good doctrine as an excuse for me not to live out good religion. That's tough. It's hard. Good doctrine, we have to have good doctrine. But we also have to live it out. We don't you know, my sin in that isn't well, God's sovereign, so he's got it, so it doesn't matter what I do. Like I just said Paul talked about that. It's God's sovereign and he can help me get through anything. That's that's the application of your doctrine. I'm in a tough situation right now, Lord. I don't know what to do. I know what's right. I'm living in a world that doesn't see that as right. I've got all of this gray around me. Maybe it's even veering into the black. I'm supposed to engage that. How do I do it? And we see all kinds of different op- options, right? We see bullhorn man standing on the corner screaming at people. I don't know that that's the best option. I admire his gumption and his desire to speak into the dark, but it seems to be ineffective because I never see anybody standing there listening to him. I admire individuals who attempt to use creative means like coffee houses to say, let's build relationships with people and see if we can find opportunity to present gospel. Uh, there's, there's so many ways to do it. The question is, are we? Right? Because I think the danger in all of this is, James is going to say, we are at, we are in huge danger of taking the truth of the gospel and solid doctrine and hiding it away because it's too hard and showing no religion. Or,. We're in danger of showing so much religion that we become like the Pharisees and the gospel takes the back seat. And that's hard. So, I don't want to leave you with hopelessness because it's not hopeless. What do we do? We pray. We look at situations and we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us through whatever it is that we're going through. We ask for wisdom to say, Lord, I, what I want to say I shouldn't say, so you're gonna have to you're gonna have to bridle my tongue here. Or what I need to say, I need to say in a way that displays good religion in the gospel because I don't want to lose my testimony. Or, Lord, I, I don't have a compassionate heart for a certain group of people. I see them. I know they're there. I'm around them all the time, but I, I don't even think about it. I just It's like a snub, but without being a snub, and I don't even realize it. And I don't know who that is for you, but Lord, I, I want to see those people. I want to see them through the eyes of Your Gospel. So show them to me. Change me. Lord, I, I'm delving into things in this world where I find myself loving the world so much that it's becoming an idol in areas of my life. And the things that I watch and the things that I do and the way that I behave and the way that I treat others. Whatever it is. And the things what I'm doing when nobody's around. And nobody's able to watch. How do, how do I battle this gray, Lord? Well, we pray and we say, Lord, You've given me the gift of the Holy Spirit and You've given me the Gospel and I need to apply that to this situation. The same Gospel, the same sovereign God will work out no matter what circumstance that you're in. And I I think when we look at this, the the, the rest of this passage, beginning in chapter 2, I see this as like, this is a story that you're, you're going to relate to, but it may not be like, this is your thing. It may not be a rich and poor thing. So, as I read this story, because it's just, it's enhancing and it's an example of everything we've just talked about. But it's showing the, the depth that we can go if we're not careful and applying the gospel to what we're doing. Or we're falling into bad doctrine. Or we're not displaying good religion in in Christ. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into the assembly, or a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, I don't even know what that is. Right? This is so out of our context. What's a good place in here? Nobody wants to sit in the front. So I'm going to go, that's not the good
1: place.
0: So picture the scene. It's like, I don't know, we're in an assembly. Rich and poor. I, I, can't, I don't know who's rich and poor based on what you're wearing. I'm usually one of the worst dressed people here. Right? So good luck figuring it out. But we have our cultural things, right? We have our judgments. We have our preconceived notions. We have our prejudices. So whatever that is for you, I'm asking you to put the mirror in front and be real and and picture this scene and make it personal to you as you're walking in and somebody you really like is walking in and then somebody you don't like is walking in. What happens? It says in verse 3, And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the other poor man, You stand over here or sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges of evil thoughts? Those are hard words. Most of my beloved brothers has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. But He has promised to those who love Him that you have dishonored the poor man and, are not, the ri- and not the rich ones who oppress you. And the ones who drag you into court, are they not the ones who blaspheme the horrible name of which you were called? So, we have our cultural things. And I don't know what it is for you. I just know it's there because we're all very rotten sinners, and we have it. To deny it would be to go back to James one, and he'd say, "Well, you're a fool." Right. So true religion is then taking the gospel even to those areas of our life and saying, "Lord, there's a, a dark place here in my life that's leading me to live a way that is unholy and destructive." And unloving and unkind, and it's it's not an accurate representation of who you are. And if we don't if we don't deal with that internally, then we're never going to be effective in helping those people, whoever they are. Right? We're not going to be able to display the true religion that Jesus says. Is undefiled. Now, I've said all of that to say this: the problem is the lack of application of the gospel. We have boxes, right? I have some relatives. They wrote a book once called "Women Are Like Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti." Okay, it's a fun book. Um, but I think of like compartments. I, I, I think we have these compartments in our life. Like picture yourself like a waffle and you have all these places, right? And it, There's certain places where we go to where the Gospel has not touched yet. And what we display in that space isn't the type of religion that James is saying that we need to be living out. And so we have to identify those spaces. The hope, and there's always hope, is that as we apply the Gospel to that space, it's going to change our hearts and our minds and our attitudes. And it's going to draw us to a place where we're so overwhelmed by our lack of of Gospel application that we fall into a place of repentance. And then we fall into a place of repentance when we invite the Holy Spirit to meet us in that space. And the result is, over time, new action. And then in that space where the Gospel, in a space of our heart or our life where the Gospel is not present, all of a sudden the gospel's there and this beautiful, undefiled religion of Jesus is being displayed in beautiful ways even though the world is still great around us. It's a... I'm, I'm, i I want to display this to you as an opportunity to dream with me. Like, so I. One of my gifts is a visionary. I see. I see it. I, I'm not telling you I interpret dreams. But I don't. I've tried that. It's really gone wrong. Um, but as a visionary, I just I see finished products. I'm really bad at getting us there. Right, I can go, that's what it should look like, and this is what we look like. I can probably take the big steps to get us there, but I don't know the half steps. And so I have to find other people around me that can show me what those half steps are. It's just not my gift. But I'm casting vision here. What I'm saying is that you have the ability in your life to have waffles that have syrup in every box. That's awesome. So isn't that the goal as a kid? We have the ability. There's no hopelessness. We have the ability to display an undefiled, gospel loving, doctrinally sound religion in every box of our life. That's what the gospel does. It continues to penetrate. And we have, as a Christ follower, if you know Jesus, you have. You have the ability at any moment, right now, you could literally go, Lord, I know that you're not in this box of my life, and I'm inviting you in right this second. And do you know what he does? He shows up. His RSVP is always yes, right? Like, there's a, there's a passage of Scripture, and I've mentioned this recently before, because I think it's, un, it's, it's used horribly, priest for evangelism, but there's a passage of Scripture in Revelation that says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I stand at the door and knock. And if you'll open the door, then I'll come in and the old King James would say, sup with you, which I still like that one. It, it means that He'll eat with you. He'll fellowship with us. Sup. Now we just go to sup. I. That wasn't written... For the unbeliever, it was written for the believer. It was addressed to the church, just like this letter is. It, it's telling believers, look, there are areas of your life and and, and and certain areas of your heart and areas of your mind where I'm not in yet. You call me Lord and King, but I'm not the King of everything yet. And if, and I'm knocking. like He's knocking right now, and he's saying, let me into that box. And it says, as soon as we open the door, He will flood in. So the question is, where is He not? Right? This isn't intended. Like, I think if I read the context of this correctly, it's when you read this, you're like, ah, this is so hard. I'm so tired of talking about, I fail at this all the time. And James says, I know you fail at it all the time. You're not going to be able to bridle your tongue perfectly. You're not. Don't it, you're not going to be able to serve everyone that you want to serve perfectly. You're going to constantly have different prejudices. You heal one, another one's coming. Right? You're not going to remove every area of the outside influence and in world from your life. It's because you still live on this planet, and we're called to engage it. So we're—he's literally thinks, I'm asking you to do something that's impossible, really, for you to do. But there's hope. We can do better. We can apply the gospel better. We can stop hiding areas of our life from the gospel. We can display something different. We can do it at any moment. There's so many passages of Scripture that talk about that, right? Every day is a new day. Every every breath belongs to Him. We. We, we are. Nev- I, I hate when Christians say they're stuck. I'm like, you're never stuck. Ever. Why? Because God is sovereign and you have Jesus. I have to say it again. Sorry I didn't understand. There, at any second, at any moment, we have the power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus we sovereign God to take control of areas of our lives that we haven't given to in so long. <laughs> That's so beautiful. It, it's such a... I told you, I don't really do Mother's Day messages, but it's such a beautiful Mother's Day message because it's almost like what moms do, right? we are supposed to. Like I'd come in and my mom would be like, right, I'm hurt or whatever, and mom's like, let me take care of you and, and then patch you up and then kind of send you out and we're going to re-engage here, but you're going to be different. Like, sometimes I think we, we take the difficulties of the sin-cursed life to a point where we, we lose sight of the hope of the Gospel. And so, I, I guess I'll give you one more kind of maybe something to grab onto so it's like handles. I, I think that oftentimes we love declaring Jesus as, as, as Savior, but we struggle with that Lordship. Right in doctrine class last week, we were talking about the kingship of Jesus and how that it's so difficult for us, especially as Americans, because we're like we don't have a king, right? And we don't understand the sovereignty because it's not displayed to us. It, it doesn't matter if you call Jesus king or not; he's king. Right? It, he is. He's the king of kings. It doesn't matter if you acknowledge that or not. One day you will. Scripture says that. To, your, to His glory, whether you're in hell or in heaven, we're all going to acknowledge that He's King. He's King. But there's certain spots of our life where we're not letting Him have kingship over. Savior sounds great. Lord, I keep blowing it in this area. I keep blowing it this area. I keep blowing it in this area. And he'll say, Yeah, I forgive you, yeah, I forgive you, yeah, I forgive you. But he's like, Okay, you know what? This will get fixed when you give me lordship. And it's there for you, it's available. This, we have been given as Christ followers, and I get so pumped. You've been given the greatest opportunity on the planet. It's just a matter of applying it. So, where do you need to fly it? That's, so we're going to take communion, right? We know that communion declares a couple of different things. It's a religious act. Jesus instituted it. We know that the, the juice that we drink represents the spilled blood of Jesus. That the, the cracker that we're eating represents the broken body of Jesus. And we, we understand that component of the gospel. But do you... Uh, Today, I'm just asking you, can, can we apply this in a way where we go, Jesus is King. He died for me so that I can acknowledge Him as King. And I have the privilege and the honor of making Him King of every area of my life. And so, Lord, which area do I need to work on right now? Which area do I need to apply You in that I'm not applying You in? And it's the power that's represented at that table that allows us to do it. I, I want you to see this as a beautiful opportunity. Yes, we need to repent. Yes, we need to humble ourselves. Yes, we need to acknowledge our sin. Yes, we need to turn and walk away from it and walk toward Jesus. But all I'm saying is, according to James and according to Scripture, that is the greatest privilege that could ever happen. The fact that we have the ability to walk toward Jesus is everything. So what is it for you? I mean, wrestle with that for a minute. Maybe you already know. Maybe you need to ask the specific questions, right? The, how's my tongue? Think about the week. How's my servant? to others. How's my discipleship going, like when I'm not being watched or when I am being watched or how I'm being influenced or what needs to be eliminated? And then, welcome Him into that space. Because you get to For those of you who are here and maybe you've never done that, then this is a little bit different for you. Because I will say that even though the specific verse doesn't apply, I believe that He's knocking at your heart. And He's saying, "Uh, take it. I'll teach you how to live differently. I'll put you in that position of opportunity for you to be able to quiet in every area of your life. You think it's hopeless? It's not. have so much more for you than what you're doing. And it's beautiful. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. I'm just encouraging you to respond. Let the Gospel impact you. Let me pray. Lord, thank You for for Your Word. We thank You for the Gospel. We thank You that even in these areas of our life where we struggle so much. Lord, that You continue to not. So I just pray for Your church right now, Lord. I I pray that there wouldn't be a single Christ follower in here that would be or even feel defeated by any sin. Lord, I, I pray that whatever You're convicting each of us of, Lord, that we would understand that Jesus is the answer, and if we'll apply it, that His power overcomes. Lord, we're grateful for Your sovereignty. We're grateful that You can handle anything. Lord, we're, we're fools for not letting You. So Father, convict us us see what needs to change, and Lord, fill us with joy as the opportunity to change it because we're not hopeless. Lastly, Lord, I just pray for anyone in this room right now who's never given their life to Jesus. I pray that they would see you, that you would give them faith and regenerate their heart. So Lord, as we partake in communion, I ask that you would meet us in this, we ask all this in Jesus.